Hello, and welcome to another episode of Body Liberation for All. I'm your host, Decolonized Wellness and Body Image Coach, Dahlia Kinsey. I help queer folks of color heal their struggles with shame and self-acceptance through nutrition and self-care so they can live the most fierce, liberated, and joyful version of their lives. Today, I'm super excited to share this interview. Rawia Tariq is just a fascinating person. They are a healer. They have a fabulous sense of humor. Rawia is a kink-aware professional with roots in queer, poly, and fat community. Their tone is reflective of these roots, and their work is informed by how these intersect Blackness. Magic, massage, storytelling, and performance art are the tools that they use to liberate, heal, and reclaim space for themselves and the marginalized communities that they belong to. This interview gave me so much joy. When I listened back to it, I forgot how much they had me rolling at every turn. You're going to love this. Let's get straight into it. Might try to put you in a box. Tell them that you don't accept. When the world is tripping out, tell them that you love yourself. Hey, hey, smile on them. Live your life just how you like it. It's your party. Negativity is not invited for my queer folk, my trans, people of color. Let your voice be heard. Look in the mirror and say that it's time to put me first. You were born to win. Head up high with confidence. This show is for everyone. So I thank you for tuning in. Let's go. Hi, Rawia. Thank you so much for coming on. Hi, thank you for having me. I knew I had to have you on the show when I saw how you describe yourself on Mammy is Dead. So (laughs) before we really got into the meat of our conversation, you said that you had another URL for that site in the past, but you changed Mm -hmm. and then you felt like the site name needed to change. So what was that shift that happened in you? Well, the name that I had before was the ungratefulfatbitch.com. And I really got a kick out of going to places like UC Berkeley and writing my website across the board. (laughs) Or when like people had to say it out loud, like at these fancy events. Um, That does sound fun. Right? The Ungrateful Fat Bitch. It's a .com, by the way. So what happened is a lot of my work at the time had been oriented around body liberation and healing through body liberation. So I did like burlesque and spoken word, created spaces for performers and things like that. And then around the time when Black Lives Matter really kicked off the first time, I was doing a lot of decolonization of myself. And a lot of it was as simple as like watching people and realizing that my eye had been trained to find whiteness attractive. And I had to like sit there and stare and be like, okay, look, look, find what's beautiful and melanated people, like undo this damaging. So as part of that decolonization, I realized that a lot of the things that came to me are people's expectations of me were based off of my physical appearance, fat, black, automatically to them equaled caretaker, it equaled, it equaled mammy. And so I need to let these motherfuckers know that Mammy is dead and (laughs) I am not her. She is not me. And the ideology of like femme labor, the expectation of femme labor, of black fat labor, like so many people who are melanated and of size have been the foundation of for so many movements, even though they have not been in the forefront of them. They are the people who have sacrificed their energy 
and in that also their lives to work and in service. And Mammy is Dead is my promise to myself, a reminder to myself that like I ain't about to be Moses in this beast. Like I'm making mm-hmm. it to the promised land. I'm going to live in it. I'm going to get a pool. We're going to splash around in it. I've got land set aside. I've got plans on what to build in it. So it was my promise to myself that I have to constantly be doing the decolonization work within myself, finding sovereignty within myself, making sure that I'm doing my acts of service because they're part of my North Star, my compass, not because I've been conditioned to to do so. So that's what that means to me. It's like, man, we said, like, <laughs> just, it's not- I love that. Don't have I, I, I love that. I never really thought about how often people- associate being melanated and being a person of size with being a caretaker and being of Mm -hmm. service. And that that really is literally giving up your life Mm -hmm. and not being centered on your own pleasure and your own joy. Mm -hmm. Because everybody remembers, you know, they recently, I think, pulled Gone with the Wind from maybe AMC or Turner Classic Movies or Mm -hmm. something. They used to play a couple of times a year. (laughs) Constantly, right? And Mm -hmm. in between Mammy and Prissy, I couldn't, yeah, Mammy was brighter than Prissy. Mm-hmm. She was a disaster, the, the type of caricature she was. Mm-hmm. But just that idea that that was the only respectable option, that that yeah. actress, that's really all she had access to. And so many people who were raised in the 50s and 60s have this attachment to the idea of a Mammy. And they talk about mm-hmm. how much they loved their Mammy mm-hmm. and don't understand that that person gave up their life to serve you. You say you love her, but did you ever know her? Yeah, did you ever know her? And did you understand that the time that she spent raising you was a time that she wasn't able to spend raising her own children? Exactly. You know, and her children's got the scraps from your table. Like it, you know? Yeah, there's nothing cute about it. So Mm -hmm. yeah, the nostalgia is just not, it's Mm -hmm. not there for us who understand that. How did you get to the point that you realized that you needed to work on decolonizing yourself? What was the spark? I think it was something, one of my mentors in the past, her name is Juicy Delight, who ran Ruben S. Burlesque, which is the burlesque troupe that I was involved in for years. And uh, she said, like, you have to include yourself in your own definition of beauty. When I realized that I didn't do that, I'm like, okay, let me look at why. I don't include myself in the definition of beauty. And first, let's look at beauty. And then let's look at the messed up power dynamic that has me thinking that I'm only valuable, precious, worthy, being able to being safe or protective if I was beautiful and why that has so much power in our societies and why it has so much power over me and how I am not included in that definition and what it means to include myself in this definition. And so it was through through body work, through doing burlesque, through being exposed visibly in a scene that is dominated by cisness, hetness, white, thinness. What does all of that mean and how do I show up and why am I doing this? And and so that was what really drove me to doing greater and larger work in the world was this knowing that I am often denied my humanity because of my skin and because of my size. And people are like, oh my God, you're so def- you know, confident and brave. And I'm like, no, I am terrified, but I am defiant. 
And I know that if my humanity is seen, then there's so many other people around me whose humanity would be seen. Like Lizzo says, you know, if I'm shining, everybody's going to shine. And I really, (laughs) I really, I'm like, yes, that's it. That's the, that's the idea. Um, So that was really what started me towards um, a greater understanding of body liberation, of being sovereign within my own embodiment and wanting to assist people in their own unique journey to becoming sovereign embodied. Because if you are really knowledgeable of yourself and how wonderful you are, you could do a job that people were like, oh, you do that? And be like, yeah, no, I'm the best damn person at it. And you get to remove power. You are less bought by other people. You are less swayed by their opinions. If you have this belief in yourself, and it's not about arrogance or egotism, it's being satisfied with yourself. So being Black, being fat, being assigned female at birth, the power structures are meant to break me down at every single level. And I am actively resisting that by loving myself and finding myself beautiful and and worthy and precious and spreading that to uh, other people. Oh, what a gift. Because Mm -hmm. like you said, at every turn, there are all these obstacles to getting to that point. Mm -hmm. How do you reconcile learning to recognize your own beauty, but also recognizing that the whole concept of beauty being the way that we find value in this world as people that were assigned female at birth is total bullshit. How do you reconcile those two things? I, I am reconciling. That is a balancing board, which is a really messy situation. If you've ever been on the balancing board, it's really easy to fall off. So on, on one side, I am like super ultra femi. I love like bright colors. I love glitter. I have a costume like section in the closet. And then on the other side, my underwear has holes in it. Um, You're lucky if I am wearing underwear, like I grow a full beard, you might get the five o'clock shadow some days, like I'll give a fuck. There's this whole thing of acceptance of of beauty not being something that's static. Like my partner gets so annoyed at me because every time they put on their bonnet to go to bed, I'm like, ooh, sexy bonnet, sexy bonnet. Now they would be like in a full face of makeup and like a tight dress. And I'll be like, mm, you look good. But they come home, take off that makeup, put on that bonnet. I'm like, it's all right. It's all right. That's a siren song, right? You put on the bonnet. <laughs> um, so there's this thing about being able to see something. Everybody has something that is absolutely stunning and gorgeous about them. Like people, when you look at people's faces and you look at people as, as sentient art, right? Mm. You hold them differently. Like I have seen beautiful pictures of myself where I look like I am high cross-faded, confused, <laughs> but it's a great picture. It's great art. And so if you could look at someone and see the totality and see them as art and see that there's different levels, find beauty in it. People are so interesting. As a massage therapist, one of the things that we're trained on doing is to see a person's energy, see what they need to not judge their bodies while they're on the table. And me being a fat person doing massage work or receiving massage work, that was like always a thing of like, somebody's going to touch me and judge me and all this other stuff. But you're holding that sacred space. So I've, through my work and through the knowledge of my own body, 
what it's like being a fat person and navigating through space. I like respect people's bodies so deeply and their stories. So my clients have been coming out of the prison system. They've been like, I have clients who are trans and deal with body dysmorphia. I have clients, I have several clients who are disabled, elders. I have attended people on their deathbeds. For me, there's so much beauty in people. And beauty is not just something that is aesthetic. It's not just about aesthetic for me. And that's how I balance beauty. I have seen some gorgeous, gorgeous people, like performers who are just stunning to look at. And as soon as they move, you're like, I'm bored. Like, so, (laughs) I'm so bored, you know? But I have seen people who other people wouldn't classify as beautiful absolutely captivate me, make me just stare with my mouth open. So yeah, it's when you redefine it for yourself, take the power from it, you know, include yourself in it. Oh yeah. That helps a lot. The concept of decolonization, it just feels so overwhelming sometimes because Mm -hmm. it's hard to even pinpoint where all of our beliefs really come from. Because we've just been inundated with so much white supremacy, so much het-centered stuff. Even reconciling, how do I really feel comfortable presenting my gender Mm -hmm. is kind of a hard thing to come to if you feel like you love feminine things, but then you also feel like the binary doesn't make any sense to you. Yeah. Yeah. When did you start working through that? Was there like a a mentor or a resource you came across or just as you've grown up, you realize who you are? There were several things that happened. I think definitely having PCOS and having higher testosterone and those changes that it made in my body. And then at that time, struggling with my femininity because I was like, I have to do extra because I'm not white. I'm not skinny. I'm not blonde. I don't have straight hair. Like, I have to be extra. Now you're going to tell me like, I'm going to have male pattern baldness and I'm like, going to like, and I'm going to have like facial hair. Like what? So irritating when you start to grow a beard and your yeah. hair is falling out where yeah. you wanted it to be. Very frustrating. Like how I have no hair on my legs, but I have hair on my face. Like that why though? But oh, I, I was so uncomfortable with the beard. I have PCOS too. Mm-hmm. And I was so uncomfortable with the facial hair. And I always felt like such a masculine woman. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, the beard just pushed mm-hmm. me over the edge because it didn't fit with how I saw mm-hmm. my gender. Mm-hmm. And my hair continues to intermittently like yeah. all fucking fall out. Yeah, but my hair too. How did you reconcile with the beard part? Asking the, for a friend. I actually ended up, because I'm also, I'm queer. I have a lot of uh, queer and genderqueer friends. And I want to say is that queer people, oh my God, like queer people and queer body love is a whole damn thing. It is like queer bodies. We celebrate the bodies that are like larger or hairier or uneven or whatever. It's like, oh my God, look at this queer body in front of me. Yes. Give me more of this (laughs) queer body. So it was very, very helpful to be in situations where my body was celebrated. Specifically, like I used to perform at one of the oldest gay bars in the country, the White Horse in Oakland, California. And there were so many queer bodies, so many melanated bodies, so many other bodies would 
show up in this space and people are yelling at you and throwing money at you. And it's really hard to like hate yourself when you're going home with like, you know, dollar bills from a barroom floor, you know, or people have written, I love you. What? Like, I so like community uh, was the solution. Yeah. Oh, I love definitely that. The solution. Then running into a lot of other Black um, assigned female at birth human beings who also politically, because um, when I say I say they, them, Black woman, no hyphen, no space, means I, myself, for me, Black woman is its own gender. And mm-hmm. I only feel like the only other people I feel, and I could be wrong about this and I'm open to being corrected, but the only other people I feel like comfortable with calling me a woman are Black women and indigenous women, people who have had their land stolen from them, people who were stolen to this land. And because of how they're treated, how their femininity is never seen, how they are treated, like we've all seen the traumatic videos of a young Black lady getting thrown across the room by a grown-ass man. And you know that were she any other, she would not be handled in such a way. The protections that femininity seems to afford certain people with certain skin tones does not extend to me. That's why I'm real clear about Black women. And again, Black women can call me, says, call me girl. I ain't tripping over it. Indigenous women as well. Anybody else? They, them, back up off it. I love that clarification. <laughs> yeah, I got to be real clear with it. And also, like, when I was, I had just done a performance, an event at UC Berkeley, and they wanted to bring me to another school, and the person was introducing me to their teacher, and they said, well, uh, Magnolia's one performer's name, performance name at that time, like, uh, they, um, I'm sorry, I don't know your pronouns. And when they said they, it felt like somebody put lotion on me and I was out here ashy and I didn't know I was out here ashy. Mm-hmm. So it was very soothing and it just felt so right. And ever since I embraced this, I didn't, I really, I don't mind my beard I found people who like love my beard, who love both my masculine and feminine energy. I did drag king for a little bit. Oh, I do <laughs> love that. And did you have enough of a beard to not feel like no. accenting it? Look, let me tell you, I'm mad about my struggle beard. Like at first when COVID started happening, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna come out of COVID with a full beard. Yeah, I'm gonna go flossy. And it's just like, no, I got, I got a struggle beard. I got a struggle beard that most black men have a struggle beard. It's a struggle beard. I get the five o'clock shadow. It's patchy. Like I wish it was luxurious. Let me tell I saw a video with a man who did his beard. He put waves in his beard. I'm like, wow. Like that's a life. That's a bearded life I want to be living. But of course I'm in this in-between struggles. Oh, that, that's the funny here. thing. It's the in-between. I love the, the way you explained how when you heard they, them, it just felt right. Mm-hmm. And it is so interesting how nuanced and individual our gender identities are. Mm-hmm. I got rid of all of my dresses maybe like five years ago and I felt like a huge weight had been lifted. I always just, I detest them mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. but the beard didn't mesh with how I mm-hmm. saw myself. Mm-hmm. And I would and, be in a ball gown and beard in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen beards on other people assigned female at birth. And I was like, ooh, it looks so sharp on them. But mm-hmm. I just was like, this is not me. This is not supposed to be happening mm-hmm. to my face. Yeah. No, if, if I could grow one, 
if I could grow a full beard, it would be on and popping, but I, well, I was not blessed. It would be so fascinating, I think, almost anywhere. Well, maybe this is just my queerness. If someone comes out with a beard at a burlesque show, I'm sold. Like, yeah. I'm here for it. Yep. I'm ready. <laughs> like, yep. I'm already biased in that person's favor. Their dancing could be a whole mess. And I would yeah. still be like, I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. Now, how did you get to the point of realizing that this service that you have to offer is so needed and should be something you're putting out there to help other people once you got to the point where you felt like you'd processed seeing yourself as a sovereign being? I, I want to be real clear that I am still in that process. Like revelations come up from the universe all the time and slap me back and forth, back and forth, non-consensually, constantly. But what happened is I just kept going because I knew that if I had seen me at certain points in my life, things would have been easier for me. I did it because at one point in my life, I needed it and I didn't have it or I didn't know where to find it. And then people would confirm all along the way with the massage work, with the storytelling, with the burlesque, with the singing, with the ritual creation, with the heart holding. When I started getting therapists who were recommending their clients to me to create rituals for them as part of the cathartic work they were doing, a tie-in spiritual with the mental and emotional work they were doing. When I started going to like conferences and people from the year before would say, let me tell you, I took your class and then like my life fell apart and now it's back together. And it's because like I did the things that you said that when you were right, it was hard, it was bullshit, but here I am and it's great. And life is so much easier for me when someone told me that they weren't able to look at themselves in the mirror naked and now can look at themselves in the mirror naked. When someone told me, oh my gosh, I'm having the greatest sex of my life because I actually had a conversation with my partner. When someone says, when you told us about your assault and how you handle and how you move through it and the ritual you perform with it, I felt released too. When I can look into the crowd and see people crying because they felt hurt or seen or held. When someone comes up to me and says, I didn't realize how much of a bigot I was. Or I'm a person who does physical training with people and I had no idea that this is how I look to people and I'm going to change my practice and now we're going to call it play. I've had the unique experience of getting feedback from people and it's helped me to see that it's important, but I do it for the child because I know that the child I was is felt very alone, fell to the illusion of isolation. And so, yeah, that's what motivates me. The child that I was and the child that other people were and the child that that is currently getting that nurturing and holding and and being seen and being told, yes, there is magic. (laughs) Uh, That is gorgeous. And I, I know for me, it's so important to feel like I have elders to guide me. And sometimes you know, it's so complicated when you have Mm -hmm. all these intersecting identities Mm -hmm. and you try and escape white supremacy and you go into a black space and then you find all the homophobia or Mm -hmm. then you try and go into a queer space and then you find all the racism and you go Mm -hmm. back and forth and then you find out, oh, the gender binary is not 
freaking working for me. It, it is hard sometimes to find elders. Mm-hmm. So I'm thrilled to see people being visible online so that you don't have to know an elder personally to be able to find that in the queer community mm-hmm. and to be able to find it in the queer community of color mm-hmm. is just so powerful. And to see people that are so young, I don't know if you're as young as you look, you can never tell, <laughs> but to see people knowing that no matter your age, you're always in a position to guide mm-hmm. someone who is just a little bit behind you. Yeah. It's just, it's a beautiful gift. And not just guide, like step out of the way for, catapult forward. Like the people that are coming up under me, like I'm like, yes, run, bitch. Like get past me, like get into the stratosphere, like climb on these shoulders and launch, like do it, (laughs) do it. (laughs) Let me gas you up. Like that's really how I feel about it. I'm 38. So I'm like moving. Oh, that's so funny. You look younger than me. (laughs) I'm 38 with melanated people. You can never, you can have to, and I've been on a lot of bed rest. 12, could have been. 50, who knows? You know, I'm, I'm well rested and I use, um, I, I put makeup on so I look little, <laughs> I look a little younger. I definitely want to see people go past me. Sometimes I take like um, phone calls from people who are like younger and coming into performing and coming into their healing arts. And I want to support them when I have the energy to support them. And, and they're like, what can I give you? I'm like, you're going to give it. I'm just a channel right now talking to you from the universe. You're going to give it. Don't worry. You're, you're doing this work. You choose to be like, once you really get in your healing profession, you realize, why did I choose to be a healer? This is painful. <laughs> did I actually choose this? You though. It's, it's like you can't escape you. it. No, because there will be no happiness if you're not in the river. <laughs> it's really like you're either in the river or out of the river. When you're out of the river, you really Yes. Um, but when you're in the river, you're really provided for. Were you raised with a lot of spiritual traditions or is this something you had to find? Mm, this is something I had to find. I was raised, I was born in New Orleans, Louisiana. I left there when I was 18. I was raised Roman Catholic and Southern Baptist. Wow, that's what a was rough com- combo. I, <laughs> depending on what was coming out at the movie theaters. If, there, if it was a movie my mom wanted to see, you were Roman Catholic. And if it was something that that wasn't a big deal then we were southern baptist but we did catholicism because my mom the best schools were the parish schools and you got a discount mm, if you were baptized so my mom was really big into education so she got us baptized catholic and it was very interesting it was also during a time girls couldn't be altar servers so mm. like i became an altar server just because they told me i couldn't be one i integrated Orleans Parish with people assigned female at birth for girls. And I didn't even want to be an altar server. I didn't. I, I actually wanted to be a priest that could perform exorcisms, but they told me... That they don't do that anymore. That they don't do, no, that, no, they told me that only priests can perform exorcisms. And I'm like, yeah, that's why I want to be a priest. Like, duh. And they're like, no, you can't be a priest because you're a girl. And I'm like, well, that's some fucking bullshit (laughs) like you could be a nun though and I'm like you know I'd rather run my own Bravo actually thank you like plan B Uh, so that was a thing I kind of stumbled into my spirituality I knew too many people who weren't Christian who were good people and I couldn't believe that a God would sentence them to hell because they were raised in a part of the world or in a tradition 
that didn't include the Judeo-Christian God. I couldn't believe God was that much of an asshole. And then I read the Bible and I'm like, God can totally be that much of an asshole. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Hebrew scriptures are rough, man. That Old and- Testament? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would have fucked with Jesus though. Jesus was like, Jesus could get it. Like he Things was got the, a lot more chill in the second half. Yeah, in the second half. Like Jesus was God's best PR man possible. But then I also saw films like The Last Temptation of Christ. Like I was watching Bravo TV a lot while Bravo still showed movies instead of the mess they oh, showed out. I used to love remember, remember how gay Bravo was? Oh my God. Uh, I used to be so upset. That was really still a queen exposure. of the desert. Oh my, yes, yes. I watched that movie like a million times. I don't even know how old I was and just cried and carried on. Mm -hmm. And then my super Protestant, like fundamentalist Mm -hmm. kind of culty family, like prayed for me and tried to explain Mm -hmm. to me that the devil presents gay people as though they're normal to corrupt us. And so I really needed to lay off the Bravo. And so that was probably (laughs) like nine years old. But I continue to watch it in secret. Yeah, I was singing Sarah McLaughlin like when I was like 13. Like it was, it was a thing. It was a thing. Like I was singing it. I was into it. When I saw the movie, But I'm a Cheerleader, I was like, oh my God, that's my life. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like I had a girlfriend in high school, like senior year of high school, I had a girlfriend. I went to an all-girl Catholic high school, by the way, that was traditionally segregated, traditionally segregated in the South, which means it was an all-Black, all-girl oh, wow. Catholic high school. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I didn't know that existed. Because oh, yeah, the Black Catholic population in Georgia is like mm-hmm. almost nothing. Yeah. When relatives have come here to visit and mm-hmm. like looked for a parish, they were traumatized mm-hmm. by the anti-Blackness because mm-hmm. it came from an area with an all-Black Parish and we do. Nah, New Orleans has this like, uh, and it's, I think it's part of the Creole thing and all this other stuff. Oh, like, yeah. so they have this whole, there's some churches where they're Catholic and I've gone in there and they're like bouncing up and off the walls. And I'm like, do they know they're Catholic though? <laughs> um, <laughs> People but, have uh, done some fun combinations with Catholicism. Yeah, they really have. So, yeah, so I had a girlfriend in high school. But I already started questioning religion. Like something, I was like in fifth grade or something, I got hit in the head with a volleyball. And I fell to the blacktop and I'm looking up at the sky and I'm like, you know what? The sky is blue because I was told that that color was blue. And then my brain kept going like, what if I only believe the things I believe because someone told me? What if I'm afraid of the things I'm afraid of because someone told me? The only black statue in the church that I saw with skin color like mine was like, not Judas, Satan. Satan being killed by- all the way there. Wow. Satan being killed by St. Michael or one of those, one of the archangels. Like, but that was the only black statue that I saw. And, the, and then I was like, okay, well, then I read about the Spanish Inquisition, right? And then that was like, I was like, whoa, who were, who were these people that were so messed up that they were tortured and killed in this way? And that's how I found witchcraft. And then I was like, oh my God, Catholicism made me the best witch ever because I really understand ritual. And that actually really, really makes sense. From my mm-hmm. old Protestant perspective, they totally think it's the same thing. They're like, mm-hmm. don't they know? What's up with all those mm-hmm. idols? They're yeah. Christian, right? Yeah. But I'm fascinated by the concept of ritual, but it always seems like so much work mm-hmm. to me coming from mm-hmm. a tradition that didn't have any. How yeah. do you get into that? And what does it do 
for you personally to have ritual in your life? For me, uh, ritual gives me a place to focus my energy. There's this guy who said it a long time ago, magic is a tool of the oppressed. And if you think about it, in our culture, like when we were stolen, we had magic in our culture. Like we came here and and Christianity was a tool that was used to help make the chains of slavery like even stronger. And it persists even to this day, this idea that life is hard, but you'll reap your reward in heaven. Hallelujah. You know, like we're taught, like it's been one of the tools that have been taught to us in such a way that it's not used to lift us up, but to keep us in a place of everything's okay, because when you die, you're going to go to the promised land. So having ritual and like in my life has helped empower me. There was, there's rituals around our hair that help us learn that our hair is beautiful. You take ritual baths and you put goodness, you take that time and moment to take care of yourself and your body and to put good energy in yourself and think good things about yourself. Ritual has helped get me through so much as someone who has not had always access to mental health as someone who has been in abusive situations and cannot rely on any kind of help from authorities, you know, like, what do you do to protect yourself? Like, for me, ritual is prayer with its feet moving because my rituals don't end at, like, light a candle. My, that candle is just reminding me of real work that I have to do in the world. So for me, ritual helps harmonize my mind, my body, my spirit, and my emotions. So we are, my souls are in alignment so I can go and do the work. So it helps me gather myself with my planning sessions. I don't know. It's everything for me has become ritual. Mm. So like, this is an everyday thing. This oh, is a regular practice. It's a, it's a regular practice. It's a regular practice, like just like a gratitude practice. Like you get up in the morning, you greet the ancestors, you greet the earth, you greet yourself, you greet your gods. I enter that day with this gratitude and awareness that I am not alone and I have not entered this place alone. I'm the tip of an iceberg. Mm. <laughs> it took so many people to make me so that I could be here today, right? And so if I move from a place of that knowledge, if I move with the awareness of my ancestors and their sacrifices and their triumphs, then anything I do, whether it is simple, is sacred because it's a ball that's been thrown from way far, way, 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 way far back. So it's a kind of gratitude and and reverence ritual helps me have in my life. And instead of having control over other people or things, it helps me have mastery of myself. Mm. I, I love the concept of connecting to your ancestors because I know ancestor worship is very common in the diaspora, but mm-hmm. you know, here in the States, it's another one of the things that most Black Americans have lost. Mm -hmm. But then I get paranoid wondering if the ancestors that I want to connect to, that I'm assuming are still hanging around and haven't transitioned or been reborn, Mm -hmm. what if they don't approve of my current choices? Do you ever worry about that? Or do you think that once people die, then probably whatever bigotry or whatever probably dissolves as you go into a more enlightened state? I think that, well, one of the things I remember, like I was really high one time and I turned to my friend and I'm like, look, bitch, if this is like high school when we're dead, I'm going to be so mad, but I ain't going to be surprised. Mm. And, <laughs> and I, 
like, yeah, there's a saying on the microcosm, so the macrocosm, like our cells look like nebulas and galaxies in the sky. So like for me, it's not out of bounds to think that bitches going to be like high school even after they did. Mm. So I, I do think that some people can go through an experience and change just like I think some people go through experience and still be an asshole. So in that way, there are ancestors that you can work with who are quote unquote elevated. And it's their job to get the other ancestors who aren't elevated to get their shit together. Like that ain't your job. You can't always do that. But what you can do, what I can do, because my answers are with me, is I can continue to have experiences that they will feel through me back into themselves. One time when I had a spiritual teacher, we did this whole journey. We went to this place. I was in this place. I had this feeling I couldn't even describe. So I kept using all these other words to describe it. And she looked at me and she said, oh, you felt entitlement. I felt entitlement to myself, to my own body. The first time I felt entitlement to myself, my own body, I was 36 years old. And I screamed because it was so painful to me to know that I have never felt entitlement to my own flesh. Hmm. I have never, and I'm like, this is how, this is how white people walking around? Like, must be nice. Sounds great. (laughs) And so I'm like, I had entitlement to myself. And not only did I scream, but my ancestors screamed with me because they hadn't felt that entitlement. And not having that entitlement had caused them to make decisions just like it had caused me to make decisions. I make new decisions now that I know that I am entitled to myself, to my sovereign self, to my own body. So I know there's ancestors that are probably looking at me, rolling my eyes and sucking their teeth. And that's all Mm. right. Because we all got that family. We all got cousins. I ain't got to associate right, with them. Right, right. That's I ain't got to fuck with them. I ain't got to <laughs> okay. fuck with them. But just like, just like I have found family, I have found ancestry as well, too. Like, How my, do you, you call know, out to them, the ones that would want to be part of you? And do you literally feel the energy going back and forth? Oh, you can feel the energy going back and forth. And they will talk and they got... <sighs> The thing is, people are like, oh, I can't hear my ancestors. Thing is, they are constantly talking. And sometimes they are talking so much so that we can't hear them or we think we can't hear them because it's like a fish with water. But once we realize we're in the water, we realize it's everywhere. They're so nosy. Sometimes, like, I'm in bed with my partner and we are like, can you back, can y'all back up off the, can we have a moment? Damn. Oh, so like your y'all. partner is sensitive to that kind of energy too? Yes. Yes. My partner is very sensitive to that kind of energy as well. And sometimes we're like, y'all need to go to your room <laughs> because y'all are in our business way too much. But yeah, they are, they are there, they're present. I'm writing a book and it begins and ends with the letter to the ancestor. Mm. And the first letter is like, oh my God, I hope, I hope I haven't you know, I hope you're not disappointed in me. I'm, I'm so terrified. I'm carrying the story of you and the story of myself and they don't go together. And I'm carrying both of them over a minefield. I can't carry both. I can't hold on to both of them. And at the end of it, I wrote, and in this paraphrasing it, but it was more along the lines of, I am the queer, non-binary, fat, magical story now in Technicolor that some of y'all didn't get to live. I have ancestry that was queer, gender non-binary. I have ancestry that are spiritualists. I have ancestry that did root work. I have ancestry that were freaking like they they made alcohol. What they call them? They're they're moonshiners. I got got bootleggers. I got bootleggers, moonshiners. 
you know, I'm a story they didn't get to live, right? And when I pass on, I will be ancestor to someone else. And I'll be telling them other ratchet answers to a homophobic that they need to take all the fucking seats. So <laughs> that's how I feel about that. And I don't have access to all their names. So there's a lot of having the trust and having to lean in and having to know that there is something that is in your blood, just like intergenerational trauma is encoded in your DNA. So is the stories of your ancestry. So some of these things you found out about your ancestors from doing kind of material research. Mm -hmm. Okay. And hearing from family. And have you gotten any of this information like corroborated by them? Mm -hmm. Yep. That's fascinating. Yeah. So what's a good entry point? Because I'm not familiar with ritual, I Mm -hmm. worry about doing it wrong. And I've always wanted an altar, but then I'm like, Mm -hmm. I don't know what to put on my altar. And then I don't want to appropriate other cultures, but because I can only nail down my African ancestry to like somewhere on the West Mm -hmm. coast of a massive continent, right? So where do you start? Do you look at other things that people do in the diaspora or just any tradition that resonates? Because we obviously have European ancestry too. Yeah, I checked that out. <laughs> I did. I'm like, oh man, I have like 13%. I'm like, I, yeah, I was huh? surprised by how much it was. And it's mm-hmm. so funny. Only recently did my grandma, my maternal grandma say something about her dad being biracial. I was like, okay, well, this is adding up because I knew on mm-hmm. the other side of the family, a grandparent had a biracial parent. So mm-hmm. it's really not far apart at all. Mm-hmm. But I just didn't feel... Like I needed to connect with them as Mm -hmm. much because their stories, it sounds like some may have been in however consensual relationship Mm -hmm. can be with that kind of power dynamic. Who knows? Yeah. But it wasn't like a rapey situation or so people don't say, I don't know. But I really want to connect with the African ancestry. So for me, and this is some of the things that I have with ATRs, I haven't really gone deeply into ATRs because... Some of them do seem to have some issue with queerness and have some homophobic stuff going on, as well as power dynamic and imbalance between genders. For me, I haven't found a place that I feel safe enough to look into. And that also didn't give me these reminiscences of like Christianity and stuff like that. So So that was still like African traditional religion. Yeah. Some of the ATRs I looked into. Now I'm not saying this because I'm no expert on, on ATRs at all. I'm just saying that this has been so far my experience in them. So what I have found when I started into um, my magic and my witchcraft and my spirituality, it was through Wicca, but Wicca is like, I'm not (laughs) Wicca. Well, I've met a lot of lovely Wiccans who Mm -hmm. have warned me of how strong white supremacy is is. in some parts of Wicca. It very very much, much, especially when you start dealing with some of the people who identify as Norse, they have some stuff, they have some cleaning out in their houses to do. But I moved from that into searching for something that would look like me and would reflect me. And I really hadn't found much because... I haven't found much about any queer African type stuff, even though some of the Orishas do switch genders and there's queerness oh, within the Orisha. Yeah, like do, yeah, do like doing some more research on it. But I started as simply as a white cloth with a glass of water because spirits move across water and smoke, right? So 
I did a glass of water um, on a white cloth for my ancestors every once in a while. One time I got real, real with it. I'm like, oh, okay, let me, let me put some of my blood in it. I had my period. I was like, let me put some blood in it. They're like, hey, find me, find me. I was doing all these things like, find me. I want to talk to you. I would talk to them even if I felt like I wasn't hearing them. I would search out sounds or music that felt like it resonated with me. Um, and I kind of started building really my own practice. I have the elements on my altar. I end up having separate altars for just whatever entity decides that it wants to really like that I'm working with at the time. At one time I was working with Oya. Sometimes I'm working with Lilith. It goes back and forth. So one time I did work with the Medusa and I didn't want to work with the Medusa because I'm like, well, Medusa, why is this Greek like monster coming to me? And Medusa's like, bitch, I'm black. And I was like, word. And I started doing some research. And Neith is like the snake, is an African snake goddess, is a primordial goddess. And like when the Greeks came and were like, and all they were like invading parts of Africa, there was this woman tribe with locked hair that were fierce in opposing them. Like, and this is where Medusa comes from, right? Oh, and by the time it so, gets to us, it seems negative and scary and she's yeah, a Yeah, it seems negative and scary. And Athena was actually her sister and Athena was then, was the one who supposedly punished her for being raped by Poseidon. The whole story never made any sense. But when you took it in the different context and I wrote a thing about it, like on my blog, maybe it said this whole thing about Medusa, but it was like, oh shit. Like, so that's how the information starts to, I'm not going to lie, sometimes marijuana and mushrooms help. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's part of a lot of religious uh-huh. traditions. There are some things that are only legal, even in the United States, mm-hmm. if you're affiliated with a specific religion yeah. that uses psychotropic yeah, you put, drugs in you your. Put yourself in, an, in a static state. And, right. I, and I think that the biggest thing for me has been trusting that the messages that I receive are real. I have had them confirmed by other people when I have talked to other people and just doing what feels right in my spiritual practice. I've had to create my own North star, but we have it. The knowledge is in our blood. All of it is in our blood. So feeling that it's in your blood takes a lot of pressure off for getting it right. Feels like it can be intuitive. Well, I've always turned myself like a skeptical witch because I I was like, this is real, but is it really? Like I had a lot of doubt. So the universe um, really took its time in helping me see that this was not a game, that this was real. I'd have several instances, visions, occurrences, enlightened moments that would be considered like supernatural and but they were natural and so normal and have been overwhelming and even in a ritual where something happened and I had no context or no understanding of what this entity was I was working with but everybody in the room knew because they were like oh yeah well duh and I was like well, fuck, I don't know what happened like I was there one moment and the next I was on the ground. And then the next moment I was eating like meat, like a hamster with one of my friends, like had me on a leg calling my name several times. Like, I'm like, yeah, why are you calling my name? I'm right here. And they were like, yeah, you know, but you weren't for like an hour. So I've had enough experiences to know that this stuff is, it's real. And it can have an effect on you and it's not safe. 
And it's not as easily divisible between good and bad. It is definitely a very neutral force that is depending on whoever is wielding it or using it. And now that definitely taps it <laughs> into the fears I was raised with. Like, mm-hmm. do I know how to make sure I don't draw in energy I don't want to receive? Yeah. For me, that is definitely been not as bad of an issue when I began to work with my real life boundaries, with my walking world boundaries. When I was able to defend myself and my space and my body against bullshit and fuckery, when I stopped messing with fuck boys, like I stopped messing with fuck spirits. Like mm. it, <laughs> it was all about boundaries and, and why and empowering myself. And yeah, so that, those really helped. Like having a good boundary practice in every part of my life helped with having a good boundary practice in my spiritual part of my life as well. I mean, that's a real problem for a lot of people assigned female at birth mm-hmm. because you're taught to just let everything oh, yeah. go. And yeah. the preferred way to be femme is to be passive and to just mm-hmm. tolerate all the things. Yes. How do you start setting boundaries? Like, how do you do that? Well, first, know that you're going to lose friends. Accept it. Mm. Accept that you will lose friends, family, situations, opportunities, and all that kind of stuff. Accept that people are not going to like the changes that they're going to see in you when you start to have boundaries. Like, know that having boundaries is akin to setting your entire village on fire if you have not had boundaries before. And know that You are going to be doing things that's going to feel wrong to you because you're going against some kind of training and encoding that you have gotten consciously and subconsciously since you were born. Know know those things first. It's going to feel wrong and people are going to treat you like you're doing wrong. But know that you are a sword. (laughs) And I do as metaphors like this. If you aren't using your shit for yourself, People will come in and use it. And then you won't get to decide how it gets used. For me, I realized that a lot of my passion and energy and drive and organizational skills was being used to help other people run their businesses, get their lives correct and things like that. And they were taking from me and I was still in the same places or I was burnt out or I couldn't take care of myself. Or I never even learned how to take care of myself because I was so concerned with taking care of others. And, but all these things that I've helped other people build, all the success I've helped them gain, they weren't always the best people. (laughs) And I started thinking, well, what if I, what if I could help myself in the same way I've helped other people? So I started putting up a boundary of, I have to do this for myself, or I can only volunteer for this, or I can only do that. And I did end up losing like a lot of people, but the things that I'm doing with my life now, I am so proud of it. And that was the the consequences were them going away versus me doing the work that fills my soul and my spirit and makes change. Like if I kept serving other people, I wouldn't have started serving other people in the way I was. I wouldn't have started writing my blogs. I wouldn't be writing my book. Right now I'm doing a project called Project Etosiane, at the scene, which is to get raise money for black, queer, and trans therapist, licensed and unlicensed in the Bay Area to get $2,000 so they could get rest. 
Like, mm. because they're doing so much hard work holding communities together. We're trying to raise, my partner and I are trying to raise $100,000 to get 50 of these people to have a break because if they fall, we fall, right? So if I was still taking care of other people, I wouldn't be doing that. I wouldn't be starting this podcast. I'm starting um, with Jessica Wilson called My Black Body Podcast. We're going to be starting. Like, I would still be helping other people do so much shit. I had to not. That was part of the boundary. Like you have the, when you create a boundary for yourself, you're you're not cutting anybody off. You're giving yourself more space to move in, more energy to move in. And I had to choose. You have to choose. It's like, it is that simple. And we're taught that choosing ourselves is selfish, especially as black women. Like we should, we're taught that we should move from a place of gratitude for anybody, even thinking of us, considering us, being aware or, or acknowledging us. And what? We back to it. Mammy's dead. Right. Oh, that's just so perfect. (laughs) That is so perfect. I cannot wait for your podcast. Do you feel like really connecting to your power and your true identity has been the key to your business success? Is most of your marketing people being drawn to you where you don't really have to engage in what we might expect in a standard marketing model or business mm-hmm. model? I haven't had to market, which has been so like, where people are like, market, market. And, I, and then I realized I do market, but not in the way that people market. What I do is I share my story. And I share my story with not the idea that it's going to draw people in, but in being like, you are not alone. And I know it feels dark. I know it feels really fucked up right now, but you, you are not alone. And I am so sorry. And I, and I just, I want you to live. I want you to have the best life that you can have. I want you to feel empowered and love yourself on multiple levels, all these levels of you. And I think that kind of has a lighthouse effect. And so if I'm standing there like a lighthouse in a storm, just being who I am, you know, ships will come to the harbor. They'll come in. And people who need to find me will find me. People who need the help, like they'll be led to me. People, uh, and people who I need to assist, I will find them. So there's also a big anti-capitalist thing where, in, my, in my work where I do barter and trade. I have a gratitude tithe when I was doing massage work. COVID shut that down for right now. But I have a gratitude tithe where I will work with someone when I make my base level of what I need to survive, I divvy that up by four. So when I make that quota each week, I will give an hour of care free to someone in the community who needs it, who can't afford it, but still needs that care. I keep my prices set low and stuff so that I can. I put on my website, this is a black and brown queer and trans centered healing practice. This is who I stand for first. And I think the community around me sees that. They see how I move, so they trust me, so they recommend me. The communities that I work in value word of mouth. They do not value flash. They're not easily impressed by Mm. credentials. But if their friend tells them this person is legit, then they will trust and work with that person. I need to work with people who are going to respect my work and find it of worth, who know that I'm not just giving them a massage, who knows that I'm not just like listening to them, who knows that I'm like doing this 
on a physical, spiritual, emotional, mental thing. This takes energy from me to do. I take a hit to do this work. I'm nourished by the work, but it does take from me to do the work. So I make sure that I'm working with people who can respect that. And those people want to see me continue doing it. So they're going to help me out in ways that they could help me out. And again, the universe take care. So I have never wanted for food or for shelter. And I have had scarce months, but I've always had community to rely on. And that's how our healers used to operate. Right. The community healers used to have a home. They used to do whatever. And their community would be like, you healing us. So we got to take care of you. And our healers are not treated the same way, especially since so much of our healing and do with spirit. Like people are seen as being neurodivergent in a detrimental way. Mm. And they aren't held and embraced and given the space they need to move, to relay the messages, to create the art, to do the healing work. But my community here, especially queer community, has been so much along the lines like, we see you, we trust you, we want to keep working with you. So it's my job to always remain worthy of their trust. It's my job to always do my self-work to make sure that I am moving from the correct places, not ego-driven places, so that I can be what they need to be because this work is my life. Like, if it wasn't for my community, I don't know what would have happened to me. I'm here because of them. So it's an interdependence that we have with each other. That's, so. I mean, that is such a decolonized way of looking at service and survival, because I think that scarcity mindset gets most of us, even when we want to offer something beautiful to the world, we worry, like, what if I don't follow all of these very colonized ways Mm -hmm. of generating wealth? Will I be okay? Will I have enough? Mm -hmm. Will I really be able to draw people if I'm not dropping them into some sales funnel and finding out how to poke at all their fears. Mm-hmm. So that's really empowering to hear. You know, mine is, mine is a, that's a definitely like a love-based type thing. When I say love, I don't mean it like that nice, gentle kind of love. Love will slap you across the face. Love can be violent. Love can be harsh. Love will wake you up. Oh, I don't mean that soft kind of love. I know that I can't participate in those systems. So I know that those systems are part of killing me and hurting me. Mm-hmm. And if somebody doesn't start doing it, if somebody doesn't start doing it, then there is nothing to set the the statistics by. They can't run a poll on it. So somebody has to do it. People have to do it. People have to move with sacred economics in mind. People have to take the chance. And so I'm one of the people who's trying to take that chance. And I know I'm not the only one. I know there's several people who live like I live. And And we have to just keep pushing until we reach a critical mass. But to live any other way would be a slap in the face to the sacred work that I'm doing. Mm. I can't do the work authentically if I'm espousing these colonized, like, power structures. None of this Miss Cleo stuff. I don't know why that's the first thing (laughs) that came to mind. Because I'm like, oh, you're selling this representation Mm -hmm. of what people imagine healing looks like coming from a person of color in this very colonized, very Mm -hmm. capitalistic package. Yep. 
where she probably wasn't fairly compensated. She was a prop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that really makes sense. Yeah. I can't do this work authentically if I'm not living it um, authentically. The medicine that I give passes through me. I'm not allowed to give it unless I've lived it, which has led to some very interesting experiences. Like I'm two weeks out of the ICU with pulmonary embolisms. I'm processing that situation about, you know, coming so close to death again. Like four months ago, I was also Mm. in the ER. So it's like, okay, all right, universe. Like y'all didn't take me. Like death loves me. Didn't touch me this time. We just like, you know, rubbed his booty on me a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) I've never visualized like an angel of death that way. (laughs) What is your concept of what's waiting for you when you become an ancestor? Uh, Again, I just really hope it's not like high school, but I have a feeling that it's going to be something close to it because like they tell you, oh, it'll change when you get to high school and you get to high school and you're like, oh, it's it's different in college. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, it's different when you start working. And it's like, it's oh, exactly the same. Oh, no. oh it's, that's, that's, that's my problem. That's, that's why I'm that like, like, true. that's what I'm like, fuck all y'all. Like, fuck all y'all. You're going to be a bastard. Then you're going to be a bastard later. I, I don't know. Like, I, I really have no, like, clue. At one point, I wanted to be like that movie with Robin Williams, but dreams may come. But I'm not yeah. sure about that. I probably will linger for a little while, fuck with some people for a little bit before I like go on my journey, stay around, haunt the people, put up ugly pictures of me on Facebook <laughs> if it still exists. Like, <laughs> like you know, um, and then, you know, probably move on to see like what's what else is out here in this universe, probably spend some time exploring. Might come back. I don't know. When I was a kid, before I even knew what reincarnation was, I remember being like, I'm exhausted. I got to do this again. And then I found out about reincarnation. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. I'm exhausted. I got to do this again. (laughs) What I really think happens is that if we die and we reincarnate, that like at some point we forget what this human experience is like. And we we look down or wherever we are and we're like, you know what? I want to get in the ring again. I want to get in the ring. I have this beautiful gift. I want to bring this gift. This is where I want to go. This is what I want to do. And then we fall back into the earth and as we pass through whatever atmosphere we pass through, we forget everything and then we just land here assed out again. So, I, I mean, I don't know. I think, I do believe that energy can neither be created nor destroyed, but I also believe that science is the language of God. I believe there is so much that we do not know and do not understand mm. because we just cannot see it. We do not have the eyes to see it. Like, We can't see a tesseract, right? Like we can't see into the fourth dimension. Like we we just, we can't. So we don't, we don't know, but maybe as energy, we'll be able to know, feel or experience different things that we have no comparison for. So I have no clue, but do I think it's heaven or hell? No, I don't think it's heaven or hell. I don't think it's that simple (laughs) at all. I think it's going to be beautifully wild, chaotic. I don't believe that I'm necessarily going to get rest. I just think it's going to be different. Yeah. That's it. That's all I can say. It's just going to be different. And you said that you, just like you have chosen family, you can have chosen ancestors. So do you think that even if someone chooses not to have children in this life, they still will fill an ancestor role if they want to? Hell yes. Hell yes. I mean... Look at the people who started like 
the gay pride movement, right? Yeah. Those black and brown trans women who threw bricks and shoes and fought the police and all this other shit. Those are ancestors. Hmm. Those are ancestors, right? The the writers, like the black writers who have passed on and wrote beautiful like things that have gotten us through. Those are those are ancestors, right? So I definitely believe that people become ancestors, even if they have not, don't have blood related to them. They're still ancestors. They still have left work upon this world. They have done things in this world. Even someone who didn't have kids, but either adopted or was the one who took care of everybody else's kid, the one who was there for you when you were a kid, even though they didn't have any kids. You know, the one who, the one adult you could always count on to explain some ratchet ass shit to you that you didn't really <laughs> know, <laughs> but you wanted to, and they were going to tell you anyway. So I do believe that you can be an ancestor and never have produced, you know, blood offspring and that you don't get like forgotten. You live on, even if your name is forgotten, you're in other people's mannerisms and words they use and phrases that they use. And some art that was created, something you do yeah. to be an ancestor. What is one thing, if there was one thing you could magically get all of us to understand, what's something you wish that we all knew or understood um, about life? There's this book, and I fought against it when I first read it because it said, you have to believe in the intrinsic goodness of humanity. And I was like, really, like, fuck these hoes. But In the book, one of the things it said, in the book is the Shambhala, and it says that when you have pride in yourself, when you see yourself as equal to all others, you will no longer desire to prove this. You will be content with the work that you have. Someone who picks garbage up from the street will be valued just as highly as someone who performs complex surgeries. That is what I want. If I could get the world to understand one thing is that each and every person is so valuable and so precious and worthy of their humanity and all those things that come with being in this world. And by extension of that, knowing that every animal, rock and tree is also valuable, that you are no greater or no lesser than a redwood, right? Like you are no greater or no lesser than this tree. That doesn't mean that you can't, you, you don't need to cut down a tree when you need wood or that you don't kill this animal when you need to eat, but you do it with a different kind of fucking energy. Mm. With reverence and with gratitude, you would be sorrowful for things that you weren't sorrowful for. And in other things, you would not do the damage to yourself and to your society that we see Um that is so prevalent with the intergenerational trauma when you deal with colonists. Like their whole thing is being, it's coming from a place of being told they were not good enough. The whole thing with the feudalism and with the whole kings and queens and like all that kind of shit and the commoner and the pauper and all that kind of shit. They were told they weren't shit. And so then they move somewhere and try to tell other people they ain't shit. Because, you know, by that point, they ain't shit because they putting ain't shitness on other people. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, but if they could hold, the only thing I would want, and that's why it's so big, a sovereign embodiment. To become a sovereign embodiment, you 
are sovereign within the land and the country of yourself. And that is what you need. And if you see other people as sovereign entities, you're not going to try to control them. You don't need to control anybody. Mind your damn business. Mm. Mind your damn business and coexist peacefully. Like, mind your damn business. I know, right? <laughs> like, louder for the people in the back. The the so many times. Business. That's the like, answer. <laughs> you are no greater and you are no less than anyone else. And mind your damn business. Be sovereign within yourself. Be a master of yourself. Know yourself in all your parts. Be sovereign in yourself. I think that was what I want people to know. Man, I love the way you express yourself. I love your energy. Where do people find you if they want to work with you? They can find me on my my site, mammyisdead.com. They can also find me at a sovereign embodiment dot org. That's where I do my other work. And you'll find links to my other projects there, like Project Edesian, which is Ghanaian, is Twi language for how are you? And also my Black Body podcast or myblackbody.org. But if they find me, is dead.com or find me on the Instagrams, Mammy. <laughs> Mammy is dead. There. I love it. And that'll connect to other places. I cannot wait for this podcast. When <laughs> does it start? The podcast is starting later this month. We are trying to raise $50,000. We've raised about eighteen dollars for that because we want to be able to pay for our editor. We want to be able to pay our editor. And we want to also be able to pay like regular speaking fees to people. And so, yes, we're raising money for that. And also if we get enough, I'm going to also be we're going to produce additional content, but I'm also going to be hosting a space because with these podcasts, I leave people with not a, a challenge necessarily, but an invitation. And so there'll be space for people to come share their experiences about the invitation of that week and how they're doing with it, how they're processing it, how it feels to them and what they're going through. So we not only want to hold this space, we want to have a forum for, for people to talk about their experiences of having a black body and how that has impacted like their world. Incredible. Thank you so much. Thank you. What breakthroughs did you have during that interview or at what point did Rawia completely crack you up with something that was simultaneously insightful and spiritual and light? I love the way they communicate. Definitely look for Rawia on social media and check out that podcast project that they were working on. Such fascinating work. Remember, the only fee for the show is that you share it with others. Anytime you share an episode, episode, like, or review the podcast, you're helping expand the community. So much of the content that we review here is going to be so healing and beneficial for other queer folks, other folks of color. We really want to reach as many people as possible. So thank you in advance for your help with that. 
Another fabulous way to support the show is to check out the Patreon. Patrons of the show get access to the Decolonized Healing Collective. The Decolonized Healing Collective is an on-demand home for workshops with other thought leaders and healers of color. This library is ever-growing. Honestly, it's an awesome resource. I definitely recommend you check it out whether or not you are in a position to become a patron of the show because I don't think it's appropriate or very loving to punish people for not being able to give more. It doesn't matter if you support the show at the $1 a month mark, $10 a month, $50 a month. Everyone who supports the show on a monthly basis, everyone who's made a pledge will have full access to the Decolonized Healing Collective. So definitely check that out. All of the links are in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining me. I will see you next time.